Hey everybody, welcome to We've Got Worm, a Daily Planet Films podcast series where we expertly dissect and discuss the hit web serial Worm, week by week, arc by arc. My name is Matt Freeman, your host and Postmaster General, and I'm joined as always by Scott Daly, Q&A extraordinaire. Scott, how are things going this week? Things are going pretty good, Matt. Um, if my voice is a little more echoey than normal, it's because um, I'm sitting in an empty room uh, because I'm moving this week. And everything in this room has been packed up, except for my computer and my recording equipment. So uh, that's just that's just how dedicated I am, Matt. That's quite an image right there. <laughs> me, me sitting in front of a desk in an empty room. Yeah. I'm, I'm actually imagining you just on the floor with no chair or, or desk because that's a better image. Even though you just told me there's a desk. Yeah, we'll, we'll go with that. I'm sitting okay. cross-legged on the floor. Yeah. Okay, good. But yes, this is a, a podcast where uh, worm expert Matt guides me, a first-time reader, through this ever-expanding world of parahumans, giant monsters, and perfectly trimmed golden beards. But not this week, Matt. This week, we elected that since we finished book one, um, we, we are going to uh, take some time off, and we're going to answer some of our listeners' questions. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. The first edition of the We've Got Worm Mailbag Show. We always try to answer as many questions as possible every week on the recurring show, but we know that some always get left out. So before we dive into the rest of Worm, we wanted to stop, take a breather, and field all, all of the questions that have been piling up over time and talk to you fine people about them. Yeah, we got a lot of them too. Um, so I'm, I'm pretty excited about this. This is the first time trying this. We'll see how, how <laughs> good it works. But uh, before we get to all those questions, Matt, I think we had some quick announcements uh, in relation to some of the stuff we talked about last week. Yeah, that's right. So first of all, uh, as we mentioned last week, we have officially now launched the We've Got Worm podcast feed. And it's, it's live right now. So if you're listening to this via your subscription to the Daily Planet podcast, you can now subscribe to the We've Got Worm feed separately. And uh, we, of course, strongly recommend that you stay subscribed to the Daily Planet podcast because we've got lots of exciting new shows planned for the future. But if you're here for nothing but worm, worm all the time, uh, then you'll get it over at the We've Got Worm feed. So we're going to double post one more episode, both in this feed and the other feed. Um, but eventually we're going to stop posting them on this feed and you're going to have to switch over. So don't forget to subscribe before it's too late. And if you're watching this on YouTube, then don't change anything because nothing will change for you. <laughs> yep. Um, we also, along with that, wanted to announce the winner of our cover art contest. Um, you're probably looking at the winning art right now, because if you're either on iTunes or uh, on the website, or I think we even post the image to Reddit, right? Yeah, it should. Yeah. So you're probably looking at that right now. And this, I I think we both got this image and we're like holy crap this is amazing um this image of the alexandrian lunchbox that taylor's first payment by the undersiders was in um it is beautiful um this was done by the very talented artist lon sheep I th have we used any of his stuff before or or i don't think we had i think I i've seen so. some of his stuff 
yeah, I don't believe we've used any yet, but uh, it's it's pretty awesome. Yeah, yeah. And you can check out all his amazing work at lawnsheep.deviantart.com. I think that's the right... Uh, we'll, we'll put that in the show notes, absolutely, and it will be in every single show notes for the rest of this podcast because that's our cover art image. It was amazing. Um, and we're still, we're still kind of working through, um, how all this is going to work in the future, but this submission was incredible. Thank you so much uh, for submitting, uh, everyone. And, and this is really great image. I loved it. Yeah. It's, it feels great to have something this awesome representing our podcast, honestly. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, if you are really into the worm fan art scene, now would be a good time to donate to the Daily Planet Films Patreon account because we are almost halfway uh, up to our next goal of $50 a month. And uh, that's where we would introduce a quarterly fan art contest. Um, so basically the, the idea here is that we'd be, we'd have some of you very talented artists that we know are out there, like Launchheap, create some fan art and submit it to us. And then we'd let the community vote on it in some form. Um, and then the winner would be, would be picked on a quarterly basis. And the money that we have been accruing through the Patreon donations um, would would be uh, donated to the winner of the of the uh, contest as a cash prize. Um, so this is a great opportunity to support us at the Worm and the and support the Worm fan art community at the same time. For more information, head over to Patreon.com/slash/TheOldPlanetFilms. Awesome. Let's get let's get into these questions, Matt. All right. Yeah. So we've we've got a whole ton of questions from you guys. So to make things a little easier, we've divided them into categories, or Scott did actually. Uh, first, we'll go over some detailed questions related specifically to stuff we talked about in Arc 8 exclusively. Then we'll move on to questions about Worm so far uh, up to Arc 8, Arc 8. And then we'll finish everything up with some general non-Worm related questions. All right, um, Scott, do you want to do you want to start it off? Yeah, sure. So this isn't technically a question, but I just wanted to comment on some of the stuff that uh, um, Wildbow sent to us after last week. Um, he had some information for us about uh, Glory Girl and Panacea's uncle, Manpower, um, who was also one of the people that died that we didn't pay attention to in Arc Eight, um, and that ties into how panacea is feeling at the end of this arc that also ties into um how the rest of um how uh how what's laser dream and um why can't I? yeah yeah um, so like yeah we, we we talked about how shielder died but we left out the manpower died as well which yeah. is as important to that group and that family as anyone else um and that I think I think that along with the fact that Gallant died, who also we forgot <laughs> had a, like a, yeah. a really a really complicated relationship with Panacea, um, kind of uh, tied into how the the mood she was in and how she treated Taylor in that scene. Yeah, she's she's been pushed really far at this point. Um, so I mean, there's there's some grounds for excusing her behavior. Um, you know, she, she's undeniably being terrible to Taylor at this point, but there's also definitely that lens where Taylor kind of deserves it and uh, Panacea is in a really bad headspace. You know, I, I mean, it's it's funny because we, we sometimes, like, it's really easy to be on Team Taylor when you're reading this story. And I think yeah. most people who read it quickly, like I did the first time, you're just on Team Taylor almost the whole time and it doesn't even occur to you that she's kind of, quit questionable until until later maybe um 
but especially the way we're reading it, we can be skeptical of her. But but even then, we get sucked back into the Team Taylor mode, and we're like, why is Panacea being so mean to her? I think I even said that last week. I was like, only we can be mean to Taylor. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, there's definitely she's uh, she definitely has a case for her in this scene. I think. Yeah, and I think that's I think that's a testament to the writing i like it makes sense for you to be on taylor's side because you're in her head right so of mm-hmm. course you're gonna like you're seeing her thought process so you're gonna tend to side with her um and i think yeah it is a result personally of the fact that we are reading this so detailed and so slowly that um i have time to really think through everything that's happening and maybe realize that as much as I like Taylor, and I do, I like Taylor a lot. Some people think I, I'm mean to her, but I like Taylor a lot. But um, I I can see parts where she's being unreasonable and unfair. Um, this was, I, it was kind of surprising me. We're going to cover some questions about it here in a few minutes. But how, um, I guess, controversial the stuff that happened in the um while taylor was handcuffed in this bed and and all the the conversations that went around like we got several questions from people talking about how we felt about it because it was a a controversial event and i when i read it that i i didn't think it was going to be yeah okay yeah we'll we'll get into that all right so yeah i think uh, we'll move on to the next question this was from clever username and this user was pointing out basically just drawing our attention to the fact that these characters are really young and and it's, it's funny because I don't think I even grasped that Taylor was, was 16 for my first read through and, or at least I didn't figure it. I didn't like put it together until much later. So, so you've got these, these teenagers and then you've got like Bastion yelling at the 12 year old Vista, who is a child who someone else pointed out wouldn't be old enough to watch this scene if it were in a movie um, to collapse a building on his head. Um, and, 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 you know, furthermore that, that panacea isn't exactly a mature adult at this point either. So it's, it's uh, this was more just a thing for us to, to talk about, I think than a specific question, but yeah, there's just the age factor basically. What, how do you feel about, about the age factor and how, how that plays into things? Yeah, I really wanted to talk about this and that's, that's why. And I think there are some questions about, the conscripting these young people into these wars but yeah i mean this is something uh, clever username wrote this comment and i and i literally replied to him and i was like i'm gonna put that on a sticky note and stick it on my computer screen so i don't forget it because you do forget like i forgot that bastion was a a 12 or or, or, sorry vista was a 12 year old girl i forgot that and like you tend because you're in these people's heads and people don't see themselves as young um, you tend to forget how young these characters really are. And that's it, it's really important, I think, to to not forget that, because like we are putting an, an outrageous amount of stress and and issues on on children. And they are children. They, I mean, like Taylor is very mature for her age, I'd say, but she's also still developing like she's not an adult yet. So, um, yeah, I, I think it's I think it's very important to remember that. And I'm so glad that this this user uh pointed that out to us yeah there there was another user that had a similar question um so I, i'm going to hold off on speaking to this topic until we get to that question actually yeah um, yeah yeah 
So uh, tying back, though, to to what you're just talking about, um, Gentle Jovian had a question for us. Um, again, this is where I started to get a hint that this hospital scene was um, more controversial than I thought, because they mentioned specifically that, that some of the fandom have had complaints about it. And they wanted to know whether um, uh, we thought that the story justified itself um, by the end of the arc of what happened in the hospital scene between all the characters justified itself. What, what do you think of this? Yeah. Um, I don't remember this bothering me the first time and reading it now with more like broad knowledge of what's going on. It makes more sense, not less sense. I mean, it would be bad if I read it again and I was like, Oh, this is, this is a plot hole because it's not taking into account such and such. But, um, doesn't really bother me. I mean, I, I guess the um, there's nothing there's nothing that happens there that isn't kind of transparently either like a miscommunication or people not understanding Taylor's psychology and uh, how inflexible she can be. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I guess maybe the only thing is like you're not really given the information that. Uh, that it seems like like it kind of seems like the reason she was handcuffed to the to the bed was so that the heroes could come talk to her and try to recruit her or it doesn't just seem like that like i think that's explicit isn't it Am see I that's i mean and and rid tom who is our next question asked something very similar to this so i was going to kind of join them together but okay. like they said why don't you think anyone could could have told her why she was cuffed um and, and my interpretation of the cuffing was specifically because they didn't want what she did to happen. They did not want her getting up from her bed and wandering around where there are heroes with their masks off. Um, that's, to me, the only reason she was cuffed was just because mm -hmm. this is a villain mixed in with heroes um, that have that their identities could be exposed. So they didn't want that to happen. And I think that's a valid point why they see. So like when I hear when I hear people have complaints and there are controversies surrounding a, a certain part of a story. To me, it's like our characters behaving inconsistently is the story doing something that's out of character because it needs it for a plot element. And I didn't see that here. I think everyone in this scene is behaving according to their character. Um, from what we've seen of the heroes is they... <laughs> they don't communicate very well, especially to villains. What we've seen of Taylor is she rushes kind of to she forms opinions and then like cements it like she convinced herself that she was arrested and going to jail and she got so like tied up in that and a little bit thanks to panacea's help um like overreacted and got herself in more trouble so i mean everyone's behaving appropriate to their character i think here so uh, yeah i mean i think this is totally justified from every angle i mean i think the only person who's actually just behaving terribly in in this entire scene is Armsmaster. Yeah, I mean, so so I just invented a little headcanon explanation that that, <laughs> that that makes things kind of work for me, which is that like, so like, it would be really off. It would be really like off if it were like Legend who had like manually handcuffed her to the bed. That would yeah, that would not yeah. ring true. Um, it would probably even be off if Armsmaster did it because then there's like that's such an overt act of aggression that he probably wouldn't let himself be caught doing that. But it kind of makes sense that like some random PRT guy who for all we know is the guy who she, you know, 
whacked in the crotch with her baton and then and then containment filmed in the face <laughs> um he's the guy who handcuffs her and he's a normal human and probably has some fairly strict you know training and, and some fairly harsh attitudes about villains maybe his buddy just got you know splattered by some villain yeah. last week or something you don't know so so anyway the my, my explanation is that it was this random prt guy that did it so so maybe he didn't uh didn't really understand what he was doing yeah and and again like so there's the the random nurse that's not talking to her but she specifically says why she's not talking to her she's like we've gotten in trouble with lawsuits before so we can't do that <laughs> like we like yeah i don't want i'm not I, I don't make enough money to make the decision on whether or not I can tell you stuff that ends in a lawsuit later and gets in trouble. See, I mean, like, I even think, like, Panacea's treatment here was a bit justified. Um, and, and a lot of people commented that it was as well. I mean, she's definitely being a jerk. And we talked about this last week, that she's being mean. But I think the the, the motivation behind that, especially with what Wildbow reminded us about, about how she had just lost Gallant, how she had lost a member of her family, it makes sense. And here you have this person that has stood in your way and been your enemy before, and now you're told you have to help them. Um, so you're going to probably react a little rashly to that. Yeah, just yeah. I mean, all, all these characters here, I think, also um, Taylor systematically underestimates how scary she is, and every everyone here is to some degree reacting to the terror of having to be in a room with this supervillain, even though yes, she just you know helped save the city from the monster but like that's that's over now and and now yeah. you, now you're just now you're just stuck in this room with the notorious skitter who who has done all these horrible things up to this point that everyone knows about um so yeah so yeah i, I think yeah. that's all i mean we've seen how quickly these these truces quote unquote go away as soon as the problem is dealt with i mean we saw that with when all the villains got together and then, like, immediately as soon as the ABB fell, like, mm-hmm. done. Um, so it does not surprise me that this truce is a thing of necessity and not something that anyone actually wants to participate in. Yeah, right. All right. Um, anything else to say on that one? No, I think we're good. No. All right. So moving on, uh, user confusion steep hands has a question about Coil's power. Uh, so now that we've not only been explained coil's power uh but we've seen it from his point of view coil kind of has two different potential like explanations for how his power works and he doesn't know which is is true so one of them is that he's just perceiving two potential timelines and then choosing one um and then he dismisses the other reality basically so he's literally like literally forking reality and then the other the other potential is that he's he just has two different visions of the way that things could happen and the one that he would have ended up choosing is the one that goes forward um or it could be something else entirely so confusion steep hands was asking what do you think is the right explanation i think it's cooler if it's that there are literally two physical existing realities because it seems more ripe for narrative function that way, because then you have every time he destroys one of these worlds, he's kind of killing an entire <laughs> world's worth of people every time. I mean, if if he's literally separating reality and these two realities are existing simultaneously 
independent of each other, then yeah, every time he destroys one of them, he is committing genocide on a scale <laughs> that has never existed before. And I, I just think that's m- a more interesting way of approaching <laughs> it. Yeah. Okay. I, I, I guess, guess I guess this is when you probably can't answer. Yeah, I mean, I, I I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna not answer. Um, I guess I'll I'll just kind of vaguely speak about how awesome Coil's power is and how this is one of the one of the very many things that make me consider Worm to be great science fiction and and not just like you know quote unquote superhero story because not only do we have this cool power but even in even just in his POV chapter we're we're taken through all of these permutations and details of how he uses it to his advantage, how he uses it to leverage other people's powers, um, how, how like he's extra careful and how he like optimizes his time. And um, it's, you know, science fiction I've heard described as just like a full exploration of an idea. And this, you know, that, that interlude in particular was approaching a full, a full, a full exploration of that idea. I agree. Definitely. Yeah. Um, so uh, Confusion Steve Pans had another question, um, which was regarding the theme of people working together, which is something that you highlighted last week, actually. Um, uh, basically, the question is, do you think it's really possible for so many capes to cooperate without some of them trying to, to sabotage the others? I guess my short answer is no, at least not in the world as as it's been presented to us up until this point, um, we've seen multiple teams of people come together um, out of necessity, and it's always ended badly um, for everyone involved. So, um, I, I would, I you know, like I'm I'm an optimist type of person. So if I was answering just my view on the world, I said I would say yes. Um, I think this is possible, and I think it just takes a strong enough leader or a strong enough person to um, be able to either inspire or uh, convince people that the greater good is is something to strive for. But um, the world in which we've seen it in in this story kind of says no. Yeah, th- those are those are some some very good thoughts. Um... I, I think I guess I would I would say that like the fact that we know that 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 the villains outnumber the heroes by so much, kind of hedges in the direction that it's it's not going to be easy to get them to cooperate just because most of the people present are going to be you know in any given scenario most of the people present are going to be messed up in some way or another, and even just within the undersiders you've got Taylor and Rachel who who were notoriously bad at following other people's orders in any way shape or form um yeah and it, it's very interesting when you look at like the dynamic of the world because like like you said there's absolutely way more super villains or rogues than there are um official sanctioned legal superheroes um but we've we've also seen within that within the only official sanctioned team there is rampant corruption there's uh like we have one of our biggest characters in arms master being basically awful we have the the legal system over punishing overcompensating so like 
our, our source of control and our source of like structure is like basically rotting from the inside. So that complicates everything else too. So you have all these independent villains running around who all want their own thing. And then you have the only thing that seems capable of being able to bring all the people together is broken. So it makes it even harder. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That's a good point. And, uh, yeah, the the issue of the um of the PRT and, and the protectorate being flawed is definitely makes this harder. Um so the next next user, Sam, has has a question. How do you feel about the fact that, that society has virtually no problem with the government essentially using middle to high school students, uh teenagers as child soldiers against dangerous supervillains and even inbringers? Um yeah, and this is actually the uh, the sort of other part of the question about the the superhero ages that I was that I was going to get at earlier. But why don't you go first, Scott? Yeah, and I think uh, the next question by Green Door is going to touch on this as well. Uh, I think he asks how desperate they may must they be, and I think that mm-hmm. that's the answer to this question. Is it comes out of desperation? It comes from um, these characters, the this world, like not. It's you know, it's what else can they do? I mean, it's when you have these monsters roaming around that are seemingly unkillable, and your only chance of real victory is if random gold guy feels like showing up today. Um, y- you have to do whatever you can, and like you have these people that yes, they are children, but they are incredibly powerful children, and you 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 have to you have to use that. You have to take advantage of that. Um, they're desperate. And I think yeah. that's 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 all it is. Um, yeah. I, I, I don't know. I don't know what the world of Worm is saying specific to the morality of that decision, but it's almost as if like the world just doesn't have time for to even contemplate the morality of that. Like they just they just don't. Yeah, I think one thing that we didn't we didn't highlight, but I, I'm fairly sure was mentioned was that anyone who comes to an inbringer fight is volunteering, and. So it kind of makes sense that you get all the Brockton Bay villains because they have a stake in it because it's their town. Um, and then you get a lot of heroes from out of town because they're heroes. And, you know, they it's, it's, it's sort of a reputation thing and sort of a, just being an honorable person thing, I guess. Um, but but basically, that doesn't really change the moral calculus, because just because a 12 year old volunteers doesn't mean you necessarily have to let them do it but 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 yes this is a world where they do let the 12 year old do it um i actually wanted to to peg a question that i had asked you um in in a text at one point to this because i was trying to to stimulate you to think about something about um (laughs) about where's the military and after seeing the fight i mean i i have my answer which doesn't include any spoilers actually that that i can think of but but I wondered what what you were thinking, like, where's the military and why is it that they have to rely on the capes like this? Yeah, I mean, it, it, it is very possible that the military has just been proven so ineffective. They're completely outclassed that they cannot function or were possibly replaced by this whole superhero team. Like, if you have one guy in Legend who's more powerful than an entire army it doesn't make sense to have a standing army anymore um so 
I think that's a very interesting train of thought, and that's something I'm going to definitely be thinking of going forward. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's that's the only thing I can guess. Yeah, and, and that would be very similar to my answer. Would would just be something like if if you you know, ground troops would be entirely useless against Leviathan, for example, because without like teleporters and flyers and everything, they would just all be wiped out by the tsunamis like immediately. And yeah, because like the fight opened with them all getting teleported out of the building they were in because it got hit by a tsunami. So like right. if there wasn't teleported in that building, fight over. Right. And then what are you going to shoot RPGs at him or something? Like, right, right. Like you need you need some kind of like super nanotechnology to damage him. So Yeah, and um, if if it's just, if it's yeah. into that theme of escalation, right? Is that like in in a world of escalating power like this, normal ground troops just don't seem to do it anymore and we've, right. we've had some exceptions to that we've had coils troops have been very uh effective and and i don't want to sell the the prt short there or is it ptr or prt it's, it's prt prt yeah. oh yeah ptr is patch test realm because that's from yeah. <laughs> that's from mmos sorry um but yeah i mean and and they've proven to be effective in their own right at, at certain things but yeah this is this is a class beyond this is the nuclear weapon of the superhero worlds and you know, you can't send you can send a ground soldier against a nuke. It's not going to yeah. do anything. And speaking of of weapons like that, I feel like any any you know cruise missile or whatever that you could use on him would just cause more collateral damage than it would be worth. Um, so yeah, that's yeah. my explanation with without any spoilers um, as to why 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 it's that way because I, I don't know if i noticed it the first time i read it but definitely when i thought about it at some point i was like yeah i can imagine being confused the first time through the story and thinking why are they sending the 12 year old like when we, we have pretty powerful weapons as a society but it's like well it, the, the, it balances out this way yeah and i think like if you and again i have to speculate like how people reading this thing a chapter at a time where there's half a week between each chapter, like reading the entirety of this arc, like gets rid of all uh, illusion that a, a child soldier is not kind of necessary in this world because of, of how powerful Leviathan was. So like if you're seeing a piecemeal and you're and like, we don't fully understand how powerful this thing is. Um, maybe that's, that's confusing, but Man, I mean, like this thing is crazy. So yeah, they're desperate, and they—if someone's going to volunteer, they're going to be like, "Okay." Yeah, yeah, I, I think that's right. Uh, Green Door sixty five goes on to ask, uh, "What do you think about Sophia being a ward? What, what do you think that says about the heroes?" I think that ties into his other question about desperation. Um, I think, and it ties into what you've said about um, the fact that the bad guys outnumber the good guys by so much so if you have the potential to take uh, someone going down the bad path and redirect them in your favor um, in this this battle in which you're completely outnumbered you're going to do that um, and you know and the other thing is like we've we don't know like taylor as skitter and taylor as herself are different um, and we've seen really like we haven't seen too much of Shadow Stalker, except for a couple of exceptions. Like, and we saw her react to Taylor punching someone in the face, and she reacted badly to that. But but we've seen Sophia 
as a terrible human being. So like it is very possible that she's putting up a front um, within the wards that she's actually not as cruel and awful as a person as she is. Um, so I, like if, if we use these superpowers and these superheroes as a metaphor for escapism, like Taylor did, then maybe she's just being someone different and, and putting out someone different. So they, they honestly don't know she's doing this thing. I mean, no one in the school knew that she was behaving that way. So yeah yeah that's that's true that's that's very interesting um yeah i mean i i think your your desperation point is is good because like they if 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 we believe that they were going to reach out to her uh, reach out to taylor that is to try to get her to join the wards then that also speaks to the level of uh of uh villainy they're willing to overlook to to put somebody in the wards i mean taylor's definitely no saint at this point and i'm sure I'm sure all the wards would would uh, have some objections to her joining because they don't they don't know her know her as anyone other than the villain who's been completely torturing them. Um, right, right. Yeah. So so yeah, I think I think they're just desperate to fill their ranks basically. And then finally, um, Green Door sixty five wants to know why you got to hate on Kid Win. <laughs> I don't know because his name this is ridiculous. He just like. From the moment he was introduced to us and then through the interlude when we saw him get punished for his weapon, he just seemed like this kind of like, I don't know, like annoying type of character. Like, it's just like the name Kid Win mixed in with the, the type of personality it seems he has. Like, it's just ripe for me to poke fun at him. I don't know. I just like I don't I don't dislike the character. I just think it's fun to do. Yeah, I think I think that's fair. I have similar feelings about Kidwin, honestly. Maybe not entirely deserved, but and it's like it, it is true that he's kind of screwed up every time he's <laughs> given an opportunity to do something. That's true. Yeah, like his big his big uh, laser weapon that he was so proud of gets like two seconds of action and then gets knocked out of the sky. Yep. Yeah. All right, uh, user Orankers is asking, um, basically drawing attention to the fact that the city, which had already been devastated by Bakura's bombing campaign, is now completely devastated by multiple tsunamis and a giant sinkhole and swaths of destruction being cut through it, uh, and just basically drawing our attention to this and asking how we think this will impact things going forward. Um, yeah, I mean, I think chaos. I, I, I think that... The the big thing to me was the protectorate base being knocked out, and I think that's powerful, kind of in how it was done. I think when you pointed out the tailor just kind of casually noticed it, but I think it's also symbolic of the fact that they've lost control of the city, um, and there's going to be a power vacuum, and I'm sure Coil hopes he's going to jump in there and fill it. Um, but I think that, like the city being actually physically destroyed is a very apt metaphor for the chaos um, within the superpower groups that's going to be occurring from here on out, I think. Yeah. And, you know, even without saying spoilers, one, one can just realize that any city that is hit by a tsunami is, you know, a disaster area and kind of a hellhole. Um, and, and those cities don't have the problems that Brockton Bay has. So right, uh, right. I, th I think we can look forward to some chaos, like Scott said. Yeah. <clears throat> All right. So the next question is by Code Zeta. 
um, and they wanted us to talk about uh, Kaden, aka Purity, a little bit, um, because we've gotten to know her a little bit. We knew that she quit the Empire 88, but then came back because she wanted to make a difference for her daughter. Um, and Code Zeta kind of wanted to know what, without, with Empire 88 basically being gutted by uh, Kaiser being killed, um, what do I think will happen to her and her group? Um, my guess here is she takes control of it just like she was going to under his quote unquote agreement. Um, I was, I was, and we talked about this a little bit, Matt. I was very surprised um, that they killed him off. Um, mm-hmm. I think it, it, it was, I don't think it was bad. Like, I think it worked, but it, it was just kind of a shocking moment for me to be like, oh, this is this guy who was kind of sort of set up to be a, a main, not a main conflict, but a, a large conflict between our main character. Um, and then he's gone. Um, but I, I think I think we've seen purity. Well, I think she thinks she's good. And while she does have good intentions, um, is a lot uh, darker than uh, we first realized. So I think even with Kaiser gone, she's going to slip into this role and, and maybe with the best intentions, um, take some actions, which are not good. Yeah. I'm going to abstain from this one. uh, (laughs) You basically have to. Yeah. It's just kind of like, well, yes, I know. Um, user Jacobin spelled with letters and numbers. I don't know how you said that right. I wouldn't have. I, it's a guess uh, is asking what the intro music is. All of the intro music is different selections from Mozart's Requiem. Um, make of that what you will, listeners. <laughs> and I think you answered that one in the Reddit. I just wanted for everyone listening to get to hear it too, because I think we get this question every so often. So yeah. Um, the Hobbler is asking, uh, what is the next power struggle going to look like? Um, in Brockton Bay and follow-up question Chubster everyone like so many people commented on this random <laughs> chubby super I don't even know if he's a hero or a villain that she gave CPR to then died like and he's supposed to be this big I was like what why is everyone I, commenting about this person I don't understand I don't know it's just one of those meme attraction points I guess where, yeah where we want to know more about him you know because yeah that's how brains work but yeah what's the what's the next power struggle gonna look like based on where all the players are situated now this is this is a tough question to answer and i mean the the honest truth is i i don't know but what i think like i kind of hinted towards at the end of last week's episode i do think that taylor is going to position herself in a place where she is dissatisfied with both sides of this conflict and is going to use the undersiders as a way of um, writing things in her perceived way of what is correct and what isn't. Um, I think like she's going to come in conflict with the remainder of the protectorate forces in the area. She's going to come in conflict, I think with coil and his forces. Um, So I think it's going to be kind of crazy. I I don't think she's going to have with the exception of this, this small group of people that she's in. I don't think she's going to have a lot of allies elsewhere. Um, that's my guess at least. Okay. Fair enough. So yeah, that, that wraps up the, um, arc eight specific questions. So now we can move on to the general questions over, over the whole series and everything we've read up to this point. So fallen pairs asks, uh, 
uh, Scott specifically because I already know, obviously. <laughs> what is what is your current mental image for the remaining two Endbringers' appearance and powers after having been introduced to Leviathan? So, as someone who's played Final Fantasy a lot, it's impossible for me to hear the f- word behemoth without... That's the that's the name of one of them, right? Am I, am I wrong? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Behemoth, yeah. yeah. It's impossible to hear that without thinking of that from um, the game, but I, I, there's no way it it's, looks exactly like that. But I'm guessing it's going to be an all fours um, monster that somehow they mentioned they mentioned magma, I think, in in last section. So it's going to be some whether it be earthquakes or volcano causing power or uh, like I said, earth or fire is what I'm getting from him. Um, the other one that I'm blanking on the name right now. Seamurg. There you go. Thank you. I have no idea. If 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 I if I hold to my elemental theory, then it will be something. It seems like something air related. Um, and I, I mean, like these are all references to actual like mythological creatures and gods, right? Because Seamurg is, I think, I'm pretty sure, um, is is a reference. Yeah, Seamurg is is like a some kind of Persian yeah, mythological yeah. thing. And it yeah, seems yeah. like it would be something snake-like, um, so that's what I'm guessing for that. But I'm very excited to see what these things are, because I think like the, 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 the world really opened up for me in a big way in this last arc. And I think like as much as the action was cool, um, just the, the, the potential going forward is what really has me excited, because there's this whole new thing that we didn't even know about up until this point and the consequences of this thing and how this is going to shape the overall conflict for Taylor is very exciting. Yeah. I'm, I'm really excited too. These, these questions are, are drawing my mind toward the future and thinking about how much fun some of these future episodes are going to be. Um, okay. So Rid Tom is asking, uh, has three questions. The first is, Generally, how do you feel about the fights in Worm so far? The high points and low points, any areas where improvement is needed? Um, do you feel experience is properly accounted for in these fights, or is it more of a rock, paper, scissors deal, in your opinion? Um, I like the fights in Worm a lot. Um, action in books has never been like my favorite thing. Um, and it's not my favorite thing in this book. I like the character moments a lot more than I like the big action set pieces in this book. Um, I think as far as high points, um, geez, I, I still, I still really like the bank heist. Um, I like how that was structured and I like how Taylor was involved. Um, and it's one of the, the first times we see her kind of take control of a situation and lead in it. Um, so I really enjoyed that. Um, low points we've kind of talked about this before in that just sometimes the battles get to a level of hectic where they just people disappear out of necessity um because we just don't really know what to do with them at the time um do i feel experience is properly accounted for um it's tough to answer that because i'm inclined to say no just because of like taylor's propensity to get out of these ridiculous situations but then we also have this this coil factor now where like we have this ability to um we're, we're she's always living in the better outcome according to what his plan is so there's all these potential things going horribly wrong that we never even saw and i think the best example of that is that he killed a universe in which she died in the first encounter 
Um, and that kind of changes everything and shifts everything. And, and I think Taylor's ability to counter experience is just in her level of resourcefulness. So I, I, there, there's no fight in here. I don't think is believable. Um, I, I don't, I think he asked specifically rock, paper, scissors. I don't think the fights in this are rock, paper, scissors at all. I think it, the one thing that Wildbow does very well in the action is explain it in a way that it is a believable result and is a believable cause and effect from the beginning of the fight to the end. So, um, yeah, that's a long way to answer that question. But I think it's a pretty big question, honestly, because, I mean, in terms of experience, a lot of the experienced capes we see are heroes and their hands are kind of tied. Yeah, that's um, true. In, ter- in terms of what they can do. And then also you have situations where like Arms Master, who's clearly very experienced, will just basically screw up because he's so overconfident. Um, you know, I- I'm trying to think if there's any cases where there's been like an egregious, more experienced person being beaten by a less experienced person. But, but the, you know, the fact of that is that like, if you, sn- if you sneak up on a multi-black belt, you know, martial artists and hit him over the head with a bottle, you can kill somebody that way in real life. So yeah, like, like the element of surprise and, and, and tactics and strategy are always sort of a trump over um, raw skill. And, and Taylor happens to have a very strategic power that gives her a lot of battlefield command, um, you know, in the sense of battlefield awareness. So that's another reason why she comes out ahead more than maybe it seems that she should. Yeah, I, I, I'll say this. I, there is not a moment in this story as far as the action so far where I like rolled my eyes or like there was an invention of plot needed to get a character out of a situation um, that was so egregious that like it broke the story for me. Like, our characters do have plot armor to a certain extent um that has to exist in stories sometimes but the the clever way of doing it writing wise is to make their successes and their failures and their getting out of these tough situations believable within the world and i think they absolutely have been yeah and it always kind of costs them something like right yeah taylor's always digging herself deeper but each time she does it so it's not just like it's not it's not Mary Sue like self insert character because she's actually making her situation worse. Yeah, she also gets like sent to a hospital after like every big fight. So yeah. it's not like they're not getting hurt either. Yeah. 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 So the next question was uh should we have been introduced to the triumvirates sooner uh to better understand the scope of their abilities in comparison to Leviathan, or did the short short blurb feel like it was enough at that moment? I think it was enough. I don't think we needed to be introduced to them any sooner than we were. I think we understood them from a distance, from the same perspective uh, of Taylor, um, in that these are basically celebrities that she's never had any interaction with, um, and they were awe-inducing enough to work in the moment. Um, I think it would have been weird if we spent time with them before this moment. Yeah, I agree that... that, uh in order to make them seem larger than life, it's actually important that they, that you, that you not know them too well. Um, especially at this point when Taylor's just seeing them for the first time. Yeah. Um, so one thing I just wanted to, to mention before we move on from this was that I don't think we talked about Idolan's powers at all last week. Um, and, uh, I just, first of all, I wanted to ask if you 
if you remembered what the stories said they were and and if so what what yeah. you thought about that so i think the reason we probably didn't talk about them is because <laughs> i don't really understand them and i was afraid to ask um the, the the way the story made it seem is that like in any given moment or maybe not even moment like there's got to be limitations but he gets he is he gets the powers that best serve the situation is what i saw it as so like um because i think we showed him have teleporting right Mm -hmm. um and we showed him be able to freeze the 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 water with ice and i think that's i think that's what the story specifically said um that he he gains the power needed for the situation at hand i don't understand fully what the limitations of that are but that was my interpretation at least yeah okay and and i'm not gonna I'm not going to say whether you're right or wrong because this can be sort of a prediction. Because, but, but I think the point here is that the story, you, I, th I think the story very carefully actually gives you very little information about Idolin's power because it is incredibly powerful, almost regardless of how you interpret that description. And he is basically described as being maybe, you know, just one step down from Scion in terms of rankings of of capes. So, um. Yeah, which is why I I thought that was very cleverly constructed, where uh, he was the one that Sion was like looking at with disgust. Yeah, um, right. Yeah, and then the other the other the other ones are just properly kind of like distant. You you I don't even think we hear Alexandria say a word or see her do much except be a badass. So. No, and it's it's funny considering that that's the only one that Taylor had any kind of real connection to. Mm -hmm. Um. And and right. that's the one we saw the least of throughout this entire fight. And I think that's an intentional. Yeah. So the next question from uh, from Rid Tom was, are there any characters that you feel should have died at this point from a story perspective and any who should have lived? It's it's tough to say this without fully knowing where they're going with it. Um, I mentioned Kaiser and I don't and I don't want to say like he should not have died. Um, I think there was narrative stuff to be mined from his continued existence, but that doesn't mean that um, his death was wrong. Um, as far as who should have died, I, I kind of, I, I guess I kind of expected one member of the undersiders to die. Um, there's, there's that line uh, that I think, I think legend says it in a speech that like on a good day, a fourth of the people here will be dead and outside of Taylor there's four other members so I thought that was like a setup for one of you are going to die and then right. I got it confirmed with Taylor uh, or with uh, with Lisa um, but then that turned out to not be true so I kind of expected an undersider to die um, I, I, I guess by process of elimination I would have picked Alec but that's only because I know that it couldn't be the others just yet but um, I, I mean that's not that's just like that's not a complaint or anything. Like, I don't think narratively the story would have worked better if one of them died. Yeah. The, the, you reminded me, we were talking earlier about whether or not we thought Coyle had any influence on, on the Leviathan battle. Um, and I think, I think you said something like, yeah, of course Coyle didn't show up. And then, and then my, my first thought after kind of having everything in my mind at the same time was, Oh, I bet he did show up. And then he died in that reality. So this is why he, we don't <laughs> see him in this reality. But 
but but then actually I thought about it more and I was like, I don't think Coyle would have shown up in any reality because his whole thing is that he's super cautious. What probably happened is like one version of him stayed in his bunker and one version like got on a helicopter and flew away immediately. Um, who knows though? Yeah, and that's I think that right there is why his power is so cool. Besides just like diving in and nerding out on what all you could do with it, just like thinking of every event that happens now and whether he was or was not involved in it is just really like a fun exercise. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's, that's one of the powers where you're tempted to, you're tempted to, to want that power just because it's so fun to think about. Um, all right. Yeah. So, and then as for any, any who should have died or any who should have lived, I don't, I, I think the ones, the ones who, the ones who died mostly, we didn't know, we didn't know that well, so I don't know necessarily that there was, um, other than Kaiser, I don't know that, that much was lost, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, but who knows? I guess Dauntless, um, I was surprised. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's um, a good point. I think there was some stuff to mine from that. But again, like it feels, it feels like if we're saying, no, this guy should have lived, that I'm like attacking the narrative when I don't even really understand fully where it's going. So... Um, I can't, I can't say that killing off a character is bad unless I know that stuff with them was intentionally set up and it damaged the narrative by removing them. But I can't like, you can't say that it did that. So, yeah. And here's, here's the thing about like the narrative function of those deaths in that scene is that it was supposed to seem shocking and, and like you're losing something. Right. Right. And, And you wouldn't feel that way if, if you were, you know, if Joe expendable, and Sally useless were the characters who were being killed because you're like, well, obviously now that I'm reading this scene, I realize that those characters were only set up to serve as cannon fodder for this scene I'm reading now. Um, whereas in this story, you're like, Oh, Dauntless is clearly being set up as being valuable and someone who's going to develop. And then when he dies, you're like, you, you feel like you've lost something. You feel like you lost something that you were going to get. Um, the same with Kaiser. Um, that's a really good point because if, if we didn't have these shocking deaths, we would have looked through like when we read those lists of everyone that died at the end of last episode. And if it was just names that we didn't recognize or we only recognized, uh, offhand, um, the impact, the impact of it would have seemed kind of ridiculous, right? It's like, of course there's going to be important people that died in this fight. Everyone was dying. So many people died. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think that the whole arcade was like a masterwork in in terms of in terms of making you feel exactly what it wanted you to feel. So, I would never like try to second guess the decisions made there. Yeah, I think my favorite part was when we talked about the horror of it. Um, yeah, it, it, it's very easy to look at as an action scene, but it really, it really like if you filmed it just like an action scene with ex- with the exception of a few beats to it it would feel really weird because it's mostly there's not much action action going on um it's just like people dying yeah yeah i agree on a lighter note uh, <laughs> <laughs> foxtail lavender wanted to know uh, if you have any favorite heroes favorite villains or favorite super fu- superpowers and favorite cape names any any and all of the above scott oh boy that's a lot this is like a four-part question um yeah. i'm i'm gonna go favorite cape name is clearly clock blocker because that's <laughs> just the most amazing thing i've ever yes. seen um 
favorite superpower. So like we have an, a later question, like which of the superpowers will we want? And I think that's a different question from which are your favorite. Um, right. I think my favorite would be, um, I, I think it, like, I think it, a tinker, I think arms master's power seems really cool. Um, just the, the sheer amount of breath that can have like all the things he figures out how to do and how to combine together would be really cool. So I like that power a lot. Um, it's probably not one I would want, but it's really fun to see how that all plays out. Um, favorite villain. I think I love coil as a villain. Um, I love like how stereotypical at times he is. And I love how interesting he is. And I love like how, both clear and unclear his motivations are so far. Um, so I, I'm really, really interested, interested to see where would they go with him. I think he's been set up really well. Like we've said this before, but going back to like the fact that Kaiser died, like Kaiser got set up too, but his setup was like way less interesting than this is. So like mm-hmm. if Coyle had died in this battle, I would have probably been like, what, what the hell? Like there's so yeah. much potential here, but um kaiser and i mean he's he's kind of a a pretty one track villain um so but coil yeah it's great yeah and and if and if he's kind of holding together this band of this large band of supervillains with his manipulations then killing him serves to create a lot more drama whereas killing coil is like wasting drama yeah um as far as heroes that's tough I really, I'm really interested in Miss Militia. Um, it, it's like because I'm tending to go for ones that we've seen, like from their from their point of view, um, which I guess is just because that's I have the the freshest and most clear picture of who they are, um, and and so I'm much more interested in them. Um, so Miss Militia is is very intriguing to me. Dragon is very intriguing to me, um, and yeah, I think that's that's all I got. Do you have ones that you can answer without spoiling things? Do you have a favorite? Yeah. Do you have favorites of arc one through eight? I guess. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've, I I can filter kind of what we know based on 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 at the current time. Uh, the, the heroes is actually the hardest one because we've been given such a bad impression of the heroes up to this point. Um, I, I I like uh in terms of cape names and and heroes, I like uh, assault and battery. Um. I like oh, their. I like that one. they do like a power combo thing, and I also like their cape name combo. Um, my favorite villains. Um, I really like Kaiser's power, and I really like uh, Oni Lee's power. I, I think Oni Lee's was one that we just like had fun talking about back when back when he was doing stuff. Man, I forgot about um, all this stuff. Yeah, well, I thought about this question in advance, so I, I cheated. I guess I should have um, done that. Yeah, the the in terms of favorite superpowers, that that's. Yeah, that's one that I that I thought of for a while. That's there there are a lot that are really cool. I, I mean, I really like I tricksters of, for I some reason. I kind of want them all, man. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, it's like it's like there's and 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 again, you, you you know, you said later there's one. Actually, yeah, let's just let's just fold that in now. So so Meiji Hao asks, um, of all the powers we've seen so far, which one would you guys want? And I think that's that's it's interesting because there's a big difference between which powers would you want and which are your favorite. Because like I always think of Trickster's power as being a really cool power, but if you're like, okay, do you want Trickster's power? I'd be like, nope. Well, there are so much stronger powers than that. Obviously not. But 
it's still a cool power. It's fun to think about. Just like owning Lee's power is really fun to think about. But like, unless I'm using it to perform assassinations, I don't really need to be able to do that. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I, which I, would I, you want? Well, so so I was I was vacillating between between two, and I think the reason that I was vacillating is fun to talk about, which is that one was Legend because it's like, well, he he's this like he he's the most sort of versatile and fun seeming of the triumvirate i mean obviously i would pick idolan but that's cheating because he's <laughs> if, he, if he has whatever power he wants it's like it's like ah, whatever legend and then i was like and then the other choice was um probably dinah um because of the of the you know thought-based capes we've seen she seems to be the the most likely to be able to take over the world in a couple weeks of concerted effort if she wanted to um so that was my that was my picks. How about you? Man, I want Coil's power. Yeah. That's pretty awesome. Yeah, it was, that was tossed up. It was a toss up between him and Dinah because they both have the ability to kind of bend the future in the direction they want. Um, but like I would do it all for like the nerd reasons. Like <laughs> you could you could stay up all night watching movies and then go back <laughs> to the reality where you just slept all night and still remember all the great movies you watched. It's true, but but Miss Militia doesn't sleep, so you could just stay up all night watching movies and not worry about it. I guess just that's be Miss Militia. But then, if I got in in trouble, I couldn't make a reality go away. I, like there's yeah. there's like and an, there's a lot of moral <laughs> quandaries <laughs> with this power, and I don't want to get into the moral quandaries. This is a hypothetical question, um, but I just think there's so many different things you can do with this thing that uh, would be fun and improve your life in some way that it would just it would just be fun to play with and by play yeah. with i don't mean like make another reality where i like torture someone that's not what i mean but i think right. i think it would be fun yeah i agree all right and then uh megafire 7 asks who's your favorite character and who's the character you want to know more about and what character do you want to punch in the face and what character do you want to give a hug I want to give them all hugs because they all have trauma. Like every single character in this this story has some sort of terrible trauma that they're going through, um, and I feel bad for them. Um, yeah. My, who's my favorite character? I like Lisa a lot. I like Tattletail a lot. I'm fascinated by her, and that's I, I think the, like I, the reason I didn't I separated this question out because this is technically different from favorite hero, favorite villain, favorite superpower type type stuff. Um, I find Tattletail fascinating. I am infinitely curious about who she is and what her motivations are. I think she's very well drawn. Um, as far as what we know and what we don't, I think the the slow trickle of information we've learned about her is has always been interesting and has always tied into everything else that's happening in the story very well um i think one of the the, the most uh underappreciated things that writers have to do is decide when they tell stuff to people and how they tell stuff to people and i think she's an example of how you do it right um and that just leads me to love her yeah i agree and my answer to all four questions is of course lung <laughs> um all right so user gutsan asks um basically yeah so in this world where everything is shades of gray who are the exceptions who are the characters who you more strongly associate with either pure good or pure evil 
I think Scion's totally evil, man. Scion's totally evil. Um, I have no idea. Uh, <laughs> I, I'm just making stuff up. But um, he, he gave someone a nasty look, and therefore in Scott's book, pure evil. That's how yeah. I work. Um, no, and I think it, this is actually a really tough question because I don't know if there are any that I've seen. Um, I think, like, I don't think there are people in real life that are pure good or pure evil. Um, so, like, everyone has nuance to them. Everyone has complications. Everyone has rationalizations and and reasons for what they're doing. So, I mean, that's that's really tough. Um, do you have anyone in, and I know you can't say beyond this, but through arc one through eight that you would think is actually just a solid good person or solid bad person? I mean, I think we were kind of being led to think that Gallant is pretty, pretty good. Um, of course, that's why so, he's dead. You just know so little of him, though. Like, Yeah, well, that's I think that's. I think that's a good point. Like, like we, like we spent some time in Miss Militia's head and she seems nice, but like, I wouldn't call her pure good. Like, I think that's going too far. Yeah. Um, And I feel like the, the the only way you could actually answer this question is if you just know so little about a character that that's just all surface level interpretation, because the more you learn about someone, the more you're going to see the complications underneath them. And that moves it away from these these extremes on either side. Yeah. But Coyle uh, seems pretty freaking evil. Yeah, he's actually I yeah, I agree. He's he's the most like empty of uh of the villains that we've seen because at least at least most of them have like a justification that isn't just purely like psychopathically self-serving. But maybe that's not true. I don't know if that's true or not. Yeah, yeah I agree. He seems pretty bad. Yeah. So. Okay. Uh Green Door 65 has another question. Um What do you think the United States looks like at large? What do you think the rest of the world looks like at large? This is a good question. Um because this is one thing we haven't seen. And it, it's funny because I was talking to you about this, but when we went to Miss Militia's interlude and it was the flashback portion of it, I thought we were seeing a hint at what the world at large looks like when we're seeing soldiers like uh, raid villages and kill people. And I was like, Jesus, this world is not in good shape. And I was I was kind of bummed when I realized it was a flashback and I still haven't gotten a clear picture of what the rest of the world looks like. Um, it, it seems like it's so weird because like they talk about everyone in Brockton Bay talks about it as if. Um, life just kind of goes on but at the same time like we know that there are three monsters just roaming the land that could completely wipe out your town at any moment um and yet there's things like that are very standard and typical to our world there's a poor district there's a rich district um there are well-off people um that are abusing other people and there are districts that are getting worse um so it seems like it's both like our world and not like our world so what the world looks like um i i I would say kind of like ours but with way more living in a state of constant denial yeah that that makes sense to me 
I think I probably know too much to say anything without inadvertently spoiling something. Yeah. But but yeah, I mean, we I think we intentionally don't know much um, right. at all, really, other than like, OK, there seems to be some kind of economy. It's not it's not just complete chaos, because like you said, there's there are rich people. Um, but uh, and, and there's there's that other factor we've talked about before where capes haven't been around for all that long, all things considered. So mm-hmm. things are sort of in this constant almost tumbling freefall of who knows where things are headed. And uh, I don't, yeah. I don't remember did, did it tell us there are two things. I don't remember if it told us up to this point, did it tell us when the inbringers showed up and did it tell us how often inbringers attack? How often I don't think has been shown. I, I think it, I think it said it might've said the order. I think. Okay. I kind of think, for some reason, I have in my head that Leviathan was the second one, um, and that might have been all they said. Um, but no, I, I don't have a clear image image on exactly when they start. Like, if this is recent, if this is the last ten years, this is the last twenty years, if it coincides with the uh, the dawn of superheroes in general or not, I don't think has been shared. Okay. All right. Um... Katie Walls has a number of questions. Uh, first, asking if we have any uh, uses or strategies for Coil's power. I think we talked about that a little bit already. Watching movies all night long. Watching movies, yeah. No, I, I mean, mean, I would just play the stock market. I don't, yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's that's true. But, there, I mean, there, there are... I mean, there are plenty of horrifying things I could imagine with this power. I I don't want to... <laughs> because i don't want to disturb myself but i mean yeah i mean there's like there's there's so many things like i said last episode this is taking away the consequence from a choice um you don't have to live with the consequence you can make the consequence go away um and still at least mentally benefit from the choice so i mean there are plenty of ways you could abuse and destroy and undermine people and systems and everything yeah uh, the next question is about Panacea. Uh, what, what do you think her secrets might be and what will happen to her? How does she handle the fact that Skitter was apparently a hero in disguise? Um, and like Wildbo suggests, her whole family's just been thrown a nasty curveball. How is she going to cope? Yeah, and I think one of the things we forgot to say about Wildbo's comment is he made sure to note in the prose that she witnessed Skitter's uh, hero reveal she like they say that she's standing there in the background um this is a really good question i don't know how to answer it um my guess as far as how she gonna cope is poorly (laughs) um (laughs) yeah i mean she she already seems like she doesn't like she's this this character that's like constantly stressed out and constantly beating herself up um and she has this power to help people but we've seen it can also be used to royally screw with people too. And so far we haven't really seen her do that. Um, mm-hmm. But she seems like she's going to get pushed to a breaking point and we might've just seen it. I mean, she's lost family members. Um, she, she hates Skitter um, and also just learned that Skitter fancies herself a hero and how is she going to cope with that? So uh, I think this is very interesting. I really liked this question because She's one of the characters that I've been thinking a lot about, too. Um, and I'm really anxious to see where this goes. I don't know if that's a real answer or not, but. Yeah, I, I don't know if we are constrained enough to make an actual guess at this point, I would I would say. 
I mean, I, yeah, I mean, I could, but it would just be like a shot in the dark, and I don't, mm-hmm. I don't want to do that. Okay, fair enough. As for, um, oh yeah, so so then then she asks about the hero's journey, the hero with the thousand faces, Joseph Campbell type uh, structure, and would like us to talk a little bit about that and see whether Taylor's journey fits into that or how it relates to it in general. So, Matt, what is a hero's journey? Well, in in layman's terms, it's this idea that there there are certain archetypes of story structure that whether or not you intend it, most good stories will fall into line with these archetypes one way or another. And they tend to to follow some kind of, uh, you know, tropes like what you see in in most of these, like a young person goes out into the world to defeat some some wrong and encounters various minor challenges along the way and finds a mentor and um uh you know i'm being very very vague and hand wavy right now but but the actual hero's journey as as identified by joseph campbell in his book is very specific and has a, a number of steps um i think that something can still be a hero's journey even if it doesn't have all the steps and yeah. um yeah, so so yeah, do you think this first any general comments and do you think this applies to this story? Yeah, so I think um I I've, I like Joseph Campbell's I think this has been we've talked about this before on the Daily Planet University podcast, which you should listen to. Um we've talked about this a little bit. We did a whole three act structure and kind of the three act structure is is tried like built around the hero's journey. I think this was a very fascinating way to examine storytelling and examine narrative i think when you try to create specifically to it is the problem i think the reason it works you said that campbell's very specific and i think he is specific but he's uh, his his specificity is also broad like it's like the monomyth works because it's just like the building blocks of telling a story it's like yeah your main character is going to do something people are going to help him he's going to have a low point um he's going to get through it and then he's going to come back a better person. So like it works unintentionally just because it's so broad. Yeah. So yeah, it's yeah. It, like, I think I, I phrase it something like it's, it's just identifying the Lego blocks of human drama. And then, uh, yeah, you, yeah. you build, build whatever you want out of those blocks. And, and obviously, obviously humans have a natural sense of what, of what is, dramatically interesting and the monomyth if anything is just identifying like people tend to tell the same kinds of stories over and over probably because there's something about those stories that we find intrinsically appealing so it's almost identifying the form of stories that the animals that are human beings seem to find appealing right so and and has taylor gone through steps in the hero's journey yes i mean she's she's gone through the threshold um it's tough to like fully map it out because we've only seen a very small part of what her full uh, arc and the story is going to be but um she's gone through a few of the steps along the way um and she could continue to go through more of them i don't think it's going to follow i don't think it's going to adhere to it exactly i don't think we're going to be able to point out a moment in the story where she checks off a box um on the hero's journey at what 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 is the like i'm trying to think of the term for what the hero's journey circle is i guess um i guess it's just called the hero's journey (laughs) but 
Um, I, I like. I think the the most important thing with this is if if you go through every story trying to like force force this concept onto the story and if it doesn't meet it it becomes less significant i think that's the wrong way to approach it yeah yeah i mean and there's moments in this story where you could say like is this taylor refusing the call is this that story beat and then it's like well sure you could just you could have a discussion about it but there's neither a yes or no answer to that it's just an interesting framework in which to think about things yeah and i think that's 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 a great point because the most interesting part of the hero's journey is it's a it's use to analyze uh stories and analyze mm-hmm. story structure not as a a end all be all of what a story should be or what a story should look like it's a tool to analyze just like the three act structure is when we talked about that on daily planet university which you should listen to um but <laughs> I just got a plug. But yeah. I mean, that's 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 the most important thing is these things are tools and they allow um, you know, literature theorists and people that analyze this stuff another tool for diving into the work. But they are not uh, the rule of how a story should be written. Yeah, I agree completely with that. Cool. That was a fun question. Thank you, Kate, for doing that. I, yeah. I saw this question on Reddit and I was like, yes, I'm going to nerd yeah. out about Campbell for a while. Yeah, I think I think we tentatively want to do our next to the Planet University podcast on the hero's journey specifically. Actually, yeah, absolutely. Um, it, it's it's really fascinating, and it's one of those things that you know there are movies that set out specifically to fit that <laughs> the hero's journey. I think Star Wars is a really good one. Um, we talked about Star Wars on the three act structure because how well and 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 Star Wars was a movie that was designed to kind of fall into these. Lucas, I think, created the story to fall into this, um, yeah. and and that doesn't make it bad. I'm not saying that, but um, it it works very well as as an example of all these things. So totally. yeah, so we've done we did the three act structure and we did Chekhov's gun, and yeah, I think we're gonna do um, we're gonna do the, the hero's journey. I'm reading Campbell's book actually right now. Um, I just I just enjoy seeing what he says about this kind of stuff. Good, yeah, awesome. All right, uh, moving on to the next user. Gabadude asks, what is your favorite moment of the book so far? My favorite moment is still uh, Taylor getting locked in her kitchen with her dad and uh, how that scene played out and how she made the decision she did and how kind of quiet and slow the scene was. Um, And slow sounds like a negative connotation, but it's just, it, it it was perfectly paced. Like, a lot of time went by. This was not something that happened on a whim. This was not necessarily an emotional decision, although it also kind of was. Um, I just, I loved that, that chapter. I loved it so much. Yeah. I, I, I'm tempted to go with that too, but I'm not sure if that's just because you've primed me on it. Um, there's, there, there are so many, there's so many great moments. That's, that's definitely kind of the, the peak of the character moments. Um, I guess I, I also like the part uh, at, at the end of, of arc seven where she learns that it's Dinah and everything kind of crumbles for her and she and she leaves. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think that's also also really good character, you know, in, internalization. And, and it's a lot of a lot of stuff in her mind that's been set up for us that is now it's culminated in this. And now it's kind of falling apart. And I liked how that was done. And there's kind of there's, there's like countless, you know, action scenes that I that I thought were awesome. but 
I think like like you said, I if you, if you ask me to pick a favorite, I'm going to pick one of the character moments. Yeah, like it's and the action scenes are really great. Um, it's the action scenes are never the things that stick with me though. Um, when I think about the last eight arcs, the moments that stick with me are those character moments are her with her dad. You're, you're absolutely right. When she first find find out about Dinah, um, the moment when she, when she first tells the story of what happened to her, when she got stuffed into the locker, these are the moments that really jump out at me. Um, so these are always going to be what I call my favorite moments. Yeah. The, the interludes tend to be really great and it is, for some reason, my brain doesn't want to pick like anything from an interlude as a favorite moment because it's not like part of the main story. But uh, yeah, I don't know. Just drawing attention to that, I guess. From from a pure um, the exercise of writing perspective, I enjoy the interludes a lot um, just because it, it really does feel and we talked about this with the, the, the little Brutus interlude, but it really does feel like with a lot of them, Wild Bo specifically sets himself up to here is a writing challenge. I am going to do it and I'm going to use this interlude to challenge myself. Yeah. And I think right. that's very cool from a storytelling perspective. Yeah, I agree. All right. Uh, moving on. Code Zeta has a question. Uh, basically, uh, this person's trying to get at your prejudice toward Lisa and, <laughs> and ultimately ask, um, Ultimately, I think the point, the, the fine tip of the question is, um, what is your position on telepaths and people who can literally read minds and, and asking if people like Professor X are a red herring for you? Do you think that do you think that maybe Professor X is getting into his own students heads to read them and make them make choices that will that will deviate towards him? I thought I thought this was really interesting, actually. Um, first maybe say something about your prejudice toward Lisa and then we can talk about this <laughs> professor X question. I don't, I don't know if I'd call it prejudice. I think, I think it's, it's a natural response to some of the stuff we've seen the character do. And I think to having a power like that and being willing to use it to manipulate people. Um, and she, and like I said, like I, I said a few minutes ago, I love Lisa. She's probably one of my favorite characters, but it it is a like recognizable fact that she uses her power to um emotionally damage and emotionally manipulate people and that's okay i mean that's what her power is but um yeah it's just from a perspective of do i know what her motivation is do i trust her in every conversation i have with her eh. <laughs> <laughs> it i mean it's tough um like i don't I don't dislike her. Like I said, like she's, I, I love her, but yeah, I, I don't know if it's prejudice or not. Um, and I guess your second half of the question is like, do I just assume that all telepaths are in some way emotionally and mentally manipulating people constantly? Yeah. I mean, I, I think that's really, <laughs> I mean, I, I almost immediately departed from the actual intent of the question and started thinking like, wow, that would be a really cool book if, you know, a really cool like like X Men arc if they realize that the doctor, uh, the Professor Xavier had been manipulating them the whole time. Um, but yeah, it's, um, it's kind of crazy how little that actually does come up in the X Men because his power is crazy strong, 
and and we, yeah. and it, it does come up at times but yeah i mean like charles xavier is set up as a person with a code that would probably not do that unless he felt he had to absolutely had to lisa is not that person who she does not have that code um so do i think that professor xavier is like influencing every single student that comes to his school no um but if lisa was in that position would she probably yeah and it comes from a place of intent because you you're kind of sold on the idea that that professor x is um trying to help people and it's even possible that if he realizes that someone their place is not with the X-Men. He would just like try to find a better place for them. Um, although I think sometimes he's portrayed as being kind of terrible and manipulative, actually. I don't know. Don't know that much about the X-Men, honestly. <laughs> I mean, he, he isn't, it, it all depends on who's that thing about comics is it all depends on who's writing the comic, but um, right. he, I mean, he is, he is a good guy. Um, so a lot of times when, you have a good character with, and you don't want to deal with the moral implications of their powers. You just don't acknowledge them. Um, and you just kind of shove that under the bed and, and move on. Um, and I think that's what happens with him a lot. Um, unless, unless the goal of the author is to specifically tackle that moral quandary, it's usually just removed, which is a great way of, again, pointing out the skill of Wildbow and his writing here that, he manages to tell these stories and deal with these moral quandaries kind of face on while still telling an engaging action packed story. Yeah. And you know, I, I doubt that he's the first person to ever write a, like a long form superhero story. Although I'm not aware of any others in, in this <laughs> format. Um, Are you sure? But, yeah, I don't think, but, but um, like you just said, like that's one advantage of doing it this way is that he's able to control all of the stories of all of the characters and, you know, paint his own coherent thematic picture of how things work. And, you know, sometimes even though, even though we love superhero stuff, we still get sucked into making fun of it because it is nonsense so often. And it is so often nonsense because of what you just said, that, that there's just always different writers. They have different ideas. They're focusing on different things. They contradict each other blatantly. And, uh, and you end up with kind of incoherent overall stories for certain characters. Um, yeah, um, yeah. I don't have to deal with that here. I love comic book characters. I I hate comic books. I, I can't <laughs> like you can't keep up with them. You like it's impossible to start. Like I I went to the comic book store one day and said I heard Spider Gwen is really good. I'm gonna try to read Spider Gwen. And I was like, which one should I read first? And I went to a website that said, if I want to read Spider-Gwen, what should I read first? And there's like 20 different options. I'm just like, I can't, I can't do this. And yeah, it's just like, I mean, that's a complaint with just how comics are structured. But yeah, I mean, it, 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 they've been going on for so long and they've been trying to do everything with these characters that who the character is at any given moment is so convoluted that I can't follow it. And it drives me crazy. Yeah, I think my sole experience with actual physical comic books was buying these this like weird obscure series where like the first book was like thick and beautiful and 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 amazing and then like the second one came out and it was fewer pages and and the same price and then like by the fifth one <laughs> th- there were 
they were incredibly short and more expensive and then they just discontinued it and you can't even find the thing on Google anymore. Um, and who knows how much I spent on this. So that kind of like soured me on the whole idea of actually physically buying comic books, unfortunately. Yeah. And now Captain America is a Nazi or something. I don't know what's yeah. going on. Yeah. That's luckily we don't have to deal with any of that because nope. we live in, we live on earth bet. <laughs> So Code Zeta goes on and asks uh, a question about the nature of powers being tied to trauma and being tied to uh, the trigger events. Um, they're asking, do you think the capes make the connection um, and, and do the powers that they get take a toll on them? Uh, yes and no. Um, I think we've seen... I think... We've talked about the, how the fact that all these powers manifest at the worst moment of your life does absolutely take a toll on um, how these people function in society and why there are more villains than there are heroes. Um, but do I think that um, th every single cape is aware that, hey, your power has a very interesting thematic resonance with exactly how it was triggered. No, I don't think so. Um, I think that's, that, that's the type of thing that works better for us, the reader than it is like, is Taylor aware that she, uh, gained bug powers when she was feeling like an insignificant insect and that how thematic that is. I, I don't think so. Yeah. I, I think maybe, maybe there's like a superficial level of appreciation for it. Like, I'm I'm making this up, but like if someone triggers as like a car is about to hit them, they're probably not going to get like Tattletail's power. They're probably going to get something that makes them durable. Right. And and like and like you might be. I think that's easier to put together. It's easier to put two and two together there. But like you're you're exactly right. Like something like Taylor's power is much more like abstract because it's literally like how she's feeling. It's yeah. It's like she doesn't even use the bug power to escape from the locker. I think the, the 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 key part of this question though is does having like is 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 exactly why maybe the world is in this the state that it's in or at least this kind of slow decline since the existence of superheroes because yeah when you take all these people who have incredible powers and serious trauma and throw them on a planet together and say okay go do stuff now um, yeah, a lot of people are dealing with that stuff in very bad ways, and that's what we're seeing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, people deal with trauma badly enough without, you know, the without ability to laser turn, vision and yeah, turn objects into projectiles. And <laughs> yeah, whatever. yeah. Um, and then uh, user Lawn Sheep, the the creator of our cover art, had had a question. They were asking. Do we make a note of the costumes that each parahuman wears when we're visualizing scenes in our head, cinematically or otherwise? So this is uh, this is one I actually thought about for a while um, because my short answer is no, and I think you and I talked about this a little bit, and it's like the the way I read, um, I like. When it comes to like character descriptions and detail on character descriptions, I either don't pick up on or miss a lot of that. Um, like I, I understand very generally like body shape, 
guy or girl um like what they generally look like but like when you get down to the nitty-gritty details of it um i usually miss that because i'm i'm either reading quickly or um i just associate character with an emotional response in my head so when i see the name taylor i have something in my head for that and it's not anything related to how she looks physically um so costumes are something that like there's a few of them I know just because it's memorable or they've been described multiple times, but for the most part, no, like, and that's probably not good. I need to probably read better, but, um, yeah, I couldn't, if you asked, like, if you gave me a million dollars to name some, some costumes, I probably couldn't do it. Yeah. I think I'm the same. I think for some capes I do. And for some, I don't, it's either a matter of like, you know, Gru's costume and power and, and his mask have been described so many times that, I, I think I probably do imagine the right thing every time. And yeah. like, and Kaiser's hasn't been explained that many times, but it's such an evocative image of like these spiraling blades coming off of this organically grown armor off of his body that, that it just sticks with you. And it's really easy to remember and really easy to see because it just goes hand in hand with his power. But like, I, I think, I think just this week I was like, what does Trickster's costume look like? And I looked it up and I was like, well, I had no idea. That's what it looked like. Yeah. Um, I so. know. I know Lisa's has an eye on it. Um, I could not tell you what Regent's wearing, except for, I know he has like a crown on, right? Um, he has, yeah. He has like a crown and he has like a, an expressionless white mask. See, I didn't, I forgot that. Yeah. But like, yeah. and it's interesting because like, I know what these people look like in my head enough to know like to differentiate them and to get them through the scene and to understand like size wise and like but it's like all this other stuff i just like my brain just shortcuts on it and gets the information it needs and then moves on yeah what's funny to me is that i constantly am like surprised to be reminded that these people are wearing masks yeah yeah um like like anytime a mask is mentioned almost i'm like oh oh right they can't see each other's expressions um and then I have to like revise my rendering of the scene in my imagination. Um, I think different people probably read very differently and, and, and they have different levels of like visual imagination. Right. I mean, I, I mean, I, I know that's true. Um, I don't, I just don't know where I fall on that spectrum. Um, I definitely do tend to like have a visual image of how things are, are, are going to look in my head. And I think you probably do too, but um, maybe there's people who do it you know especially people like lawn sheep who's an artist obviously um maybe they habitually do this to a much higher level of resolution than i do because that's just how their their brain works i don't know yeah and and like i i'm a very visual thinker too in that like when i'm seeing a scene i will construct the scene and i will put the camera where i think the camera should go but like when it gets down to the details like the the really like a character is a blur to me in the scene with an emotional connection to it. Like I'm not seeing when I read the details of what that person looks like or what they're wearing or any of that. And it's fascinating fascinating to think about. It really is. Right. Because I mean, that's one thing that people don't talk about very often. Everyone reads very differently, but people don't really talk about it. Um, You and and I think that's why sometimes I just completely miss stuff. And it's why, um, sometimes I point out stuff that other people are like, I didn't even think about that. It's just cause mm-hmm. it's the way you approach the material. Yeah. You're not even doing it on purpose. No, Your brain no, is doing yeah. it at some deeper level. Yeah. That's cool. That's a great question. Lon sheep. Yeah. 
Um, yes, and they also asked if we have any favorite costume designs. Oh boy! <laughs> After I just said I don't know any of them. I mean, I guess out of the ones I remember, I, I really like the idea of Kaiser's. Um, yeah, and see, the, like the the ones that I do remember are the ones that I've seen people's fan art versions of them a lot because I am very visual. So once I once I see it, like it's it's harder for me to imagine it. But once like someone's put it up on a screen for me, then I've got it. Um, so geez, um, I like I like Taylor's a lot actually. I think that look looks really cool. Yeah, hers is very like utilitarian. Um... I don't even think she has like a symbol on hers, and I, and I actually like that about it. Mm-hmm. In, in contrast to a lot of a lot of capes have like a a symbol of some kind. I mean, I, I'm I'm fond of Tinkers and their like armor, their their you know Iron Man kind of armor that I imagine them having, um, which may be inaccurate. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to think right now of what Arms Master wears. <laughs> I think there's blue in it. Yeah, I. Oh, like colors is one thing I'm particularly bad at. I mean, even even if I can remember things, I I don't I don't render them in color in my imagination. Yeah, this has been the Matt and Scott suck at reading question. Yeah. No, but I think I think I really liked it because it's it's very different, and I think that's something people should talk about more. Um, and yeah. how they read. Yeah, I'm, I mean, um, I think I, I kind of have a feeling that Wildboat thinks about this kind of thing actually because he's made a few comments on um in 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 our our podcast reddit threads and elsewhere about how he approaches writing and also that like the the thing that he studied in school was was i i forget the name of of what it is exactly but it's sort of how different media um influence your perception of a thing so like i i would i'm completely making this up right now but like my interpretation of that is like you know worm is a different thing if it's told via web serial or via one book or via mm-hmm. a comic book or via a movie or via a tv show um and you different different media have different strengths and weaknesses and so i can't help but imagine that he's put a lot of thought into the strengths and weaknesses of the web serial platform and media medium um and and that he's thinking about these things as he conveys this information to us. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, other than Kaiser, I can't think of any uh, costume designs that I that I love. But that's just kind of maybe how my brain works. <laughs> um, Pita Enigma asks: After Arc Eight, where do you think the plot is going as far as Taylor, and where do you think it's going for the people she's met, Arms Master, the Undersires, and Coil specifically? I think Iron's Master's going to jail. Um, I don't know. I think that's an interesting thought of if you're a protectorate and you break the law, where do you go? Do they just send you to the birdcage too? Because that seems like a disaster. Um, I, what my, do you think? My guess is that he is not going to actually go to prison. My guess is that this is a system in which um, the the declared good heroes are punished, but never really punished. Um, and he's going to get like a slap on his hand or something, and then maybe transferred somewhere or something. But I don't, I don't think they just drop him in the birdcage or anything like that. Um, 
Okay. As far as the other ones, I don't know. Um, I, like I told, I said last week what I think Taylor's going to do, um, and that kind of relates into the undersiders. Coil, I think, is going to do what Coil does, which is use a situation to his advantage. I mean, we saw at the end of the last interlude that he has what, like, a seventy-two percent chance of his grand plan succeeding, um, right. which is insane. Um, so I, I think everything that happens, Coil is going to find a way to twist to his advantage. Um, whether or not he sees it's, it's tough because like this all ties into what I think is going to happen. So it's like trying to guess off of what I think Taylor's going to do and how he will react to that relies on my thinking of what Taylor is going to do as being right. So this is tough. Yeah. I mean, I think you've given us a, a sense of where you think the various characters kind of motives lie. Um, yeah. over the course of the other questions. The, um, the most interesting thing to me when I was thinking about this is this being eight arcs in several, I mean, this. I think this is several hundred thousand words at this point. I, I don't have a clear picture of what the the overarching conflict of Worm, the web serial, is going to be yet. Um, and I'm not saying that as, as if it's a bad thing. Um, I just... Like, I, I know at least most of the players at this point, um, but I'm not sure what the actual board is going to look like going into the future, especially after, like, this arcade just introduced a whole new piece to the equation. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's, I think that's fair. Um, I, I think, uh, you know, it's fun for, for us to listen to your to your predictions, but there's definitely a huge amount of information that's being intentionally kept just out of sight from you at this point. And so it's not entirely fair to ask you to make predictions. And it's like, yeah, you're, you don't have, you don't have the raw materials you need. Yeah. And I don't like everyone, like everyone always says the predictions are, are, are some of their most fun parts, but there's like, I don't, I don't want to just make shots in the dark. Like I, I really want, to use what I've read and, and the clues that I think I've picked up on to make educated guesses. And there's just some things that either I haven't seen enough clues or I'm just not confident enough in it yet that I just want to shoot it out there. Um, I can promise you guys, I will continue to make predictions. Some of them will be more outlandish than the others, but um, I, I don't want to just like fully totally speculate. Like my grand plan thing I revealed to you last week was like the most uncomfortable I've ever been on this podcast <laughs> trying to explain this complicated thing that is probably not totally true. Um, but so like, but that even was supported by, I think information that I saw in the story. So, um, I will continue to, to make guesses, but I don't want to just like toss out random stuff constantly. Yeah. And stuff like the grand plan, at least, at least it like jumped into your head as like your brain putting connections together mm -hmm. and you trying to make sense of it. Whereas so like that was organic in a sense, but it's much less organic for me to be like, okay, what do you think is going to happen with, yeah. um, you know, with uh glory girl. And, and it's like, uh, I don't know. I don't. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's, <laughs> I've tried to answer all these questions, but the toughest ones for me were absolutely, what's going to happen next? And yeah. it's like, well, I, I don't know. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and I'm excited to find out. Like I'm, I'm very like, we, I think we needed this break this week. Um, but 
I'm also like itching to read this next section really bad by now. Um, oh, yeah. That's one thing I didn't do as I, I, I went back and forth about whether or not I'm going to read Arc 9 before we did this recording. I decided not to just because I didn't want anything I learned to influence my answers to any of these questions. So, but tomorrow, better believe it, I'm going in. All right. I will join you with the reading. <laughs> All right. So that's, uh, oh, wait, one final question. And this was a, um, Actually, sorry, two, two topics in the non-worm-related uh, bin. The first was uh, a lengthy discussion of Portal 2. Apparently, people don't like Portal 2. I didn't know that. <laughs> I, I didn't play Portal 2, but that was just because of where my life was when it came out. Um, I, thought it was I, love, just, I love Portal 1. I thought it was universally loved, and all of a sudden, it's like, no, Portal 1 was better. It's like, I thought every Valve game was universally loved. Yeah, can't they just both be really good games? I don't, like... There, there were some really interesting points in this, and I don't want to get into a detailed discussion of Portal 2 and what I think works and what doesn't work. Um, there were some good points made. Um, I think if if you call Portal a perfect game, then I think Portal 2 is just about as perfect of a sequel as you can get. Um, it it It's kind of like a, the Alien Aliens thing, where Portal was this singular focused thing and portal 2 expanded on that in interesting new ways um and i think i like them both equally and that's all i'll talk about on portal all right sounds good to me it makes me want to get portal 2 i think you'd like it a lot okay and then uh s robinson asks uh what podcasts we like listening to and who we consider to be our podcasting mentors oh, oh boy how much time do we have <laughs> uh an hour okay uh why don't you go first yeah um so in terms of what podcasts i listen to if you had any any like delusions that i was like highbrow um we'll we'll, we'll get rid of those now probably the one i listened to the most was the joe rogan experience um just in terms of like hours that i would say that's mainly because like i have a super long commute every day and it's just really nice to have like just a very very long conversations that are mildly humorous being piped into my ear um i i enjoy the jocko podcast we actually did a whole scott and i did a whole podcast where we just talked about other podcasts that we liked <laughs> yeah we did do so, that so you can check that out for a shortcut um it, it's hard for me to say about like mentors I, I i probably listened to the tim ferris show the longest um so i probably like absorbed a lot of his like style subconsciously not that i've necessarily tried to um there's a there's there's honestly a ton of podcasts that i listen to but i barely recommend most of them so i'm just going to stick to those ones that i just mentioned how about you scott <laughs> um yeah i listen to a lot of podcasts i have about 40 i'm subscribed to and i usually try to keep up with all of them some i don't do as well as others um i'm kind of obsessed with the format i just think it's a really like i'm a very uh auditory learner i've always been that way so the podcast just is like my my format of choice when it comes to learning things and like i think it was it was probably right before we started the website matt that i really was like trying to devour as much film criticism and film study stuff as possible and i found podcasts just a perfect way to do that um so i listen to a bunch of film podcasts um i listen to a bunch of literary analysis podcasts as well um as far as mentors, um, I don't know. I've told you about the McElroy brothers, Matt. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't think I've ever talked about it on this podcast, but they do uh, my brother and my brother and me, which is a comedy uh, advice show podcast. They do one called the Adventure Zone, which is a Dungeons and Dragons podcast. They are hilarious, and they are just three brothers that started doing this and eventually blew up. I will never be as, as as funny or as good at this as these guys are, but um, they're really fun to listen to and really inspiring how they kind of just built this uh, brand around them. They have a, a TV show on CISO, which is a, a comedy streaming network now, so they're doing really well. Um, cool. Wow. Yeah, it's 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 incredible. And the Metro Zone is legitimately hilarious. It's made me want to go back and play Dungeons and Dragons again, which there's no possible way I have time for that ever but um it's 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 so fun yeah i i agree with your comment that that the the podcast medium is is uh fascinating um like i i didn't really listen to any podcasts like two two or three years ago and now i probably consume most of my like hours of entertainment per day through through the medium of podcast um yeah that, that probably says some good things and some bad things but i mean i don't know if you've looked at like the the general numbers about podcasts but just as a medium it's grown really 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 unbelievably quickly um um in terms yeah. of the number the number of people listening to it and the amount of time they spend listening to it and i'm probably the poster child for that yeah i mean like i think it's a combination of people being stuck in office jobs in front of a computer all day um like me who I can listen to podcasts while I'm working um, on my drive, when I go for a run there's while I'm cooking at night, like there's so many different avenues for, I want to be thinking about something and learning something. And here's these podcasts and some are, some are just entertainment. Some are learning. Um, if you like what we do, one of my favorite other, other groups is a, a group called point North media um, a guy named Alistair Stevens, he used to be on this group called Story Wonk. He's not part of that anymore, but he does like live uh, literary lectures on different books. Um, he's doing everything with J.R.L. Tolkien right now, like every Tolkien novel. He just finished The Hobbit and is on his way into Lord of the Rings. He's doing one on American Gods right now, which is really interesting. Um, I had never read that book and I'm reading it. Um, he's kind of like, like he's... I think I think we're pretty good at literary analysis, Matt. Um, and I think he's good in a different way. Um, but he kind of inspired me to think that I could do this and and get into this. So, yeah, um, I guess on on that note, I also listen to those those Alistair um, those Alistair videos. That that reminds me uh, that like YouTube videos are also a staple of my infotainment diet. Oh yeah, and geez. Probably like if you were to ask for like a mentor, I would have to I would have to admit that like the the red letter media um, blanket reviews were the thing that first got me thinking about like story analysis this way, and and then I kind of self educated myself about it after that. But um, that you know the big Phantom Menace review was was a seminal event for me. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I think that's that's long enough long enough us talking about podcasts. If you ever yeah. need some podcast recommendations, like I have, you know, 
political podcasts, movie podcasts, book podcasts, um, and everything in between. Um, I, I'm recently falling in love with like the narrative type podcast where it's literally just storytelling via podcast. Um, if you ever want any recommendations, hit me up. I have an infinite amount. So, All right. I might hit you up for some of those narrative ones. Okay. All right. So, so that's, uh, that wraps up all the questions for today. I think that was, that was a good, that was a good amount of, uh, of mail to be opening in one week. Um, yeah, so, so, uh, that wraps up our very first mailbag episode. I hope everyone enjoyed the answers to all of your questions. Uh, if you didn't get your question answered today or just have some additional advice, questions, or thoughts, please let us know. Uh, we'll try to get to it next week. And as always, we appreciate your feedback. Yeah, um, you can reach out to us uh, via email at got, gotwormpod at gmail.com or on Twitter at gotwormpod, where you'll be able to also read my off-the-cuff reactions as I read through Arc 9 and beyond. Because I'm going to start that tomorrow, I think. I guess right. I'll, I'll, I'll wait till the podcast is actually published, because um, that seems fair. Okay, and I'll I'll be somehow filtering you for spoilers. Okay, we'll, we'll, well figure that I'm out. just yeah yeah you just just like with the YouTube, just say Scott stay away, stay away yeah. from the spoiler section. Uh, my personal Twitter is Scott Daily eighty five. That's D A L Y, and Matt's is at Mordinamail. I'm nailing it, Matt. I'm yeah. nailing it. Um, you can follow us on Twitter for all kinds of different uh, commentary news on all the podcasts and other media forms we're ingesting. That's right. And if you're not already subscribed to the We've Got Worm feed, uh, we strongly recommend you do so and never miss an episode. You can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, YouTube, Google Play, and pretty much anywhere else in the world that you can listen to podcasts. Friendly reminder that we've transferred over to the new feed. And if you're still listening to this on the Daily Planet podcast, go right now and subscribe to We've Got Worm. Go ahead. We'll wait. Yeah, we're just going to keep beating that in your head until, yeah, I mean, <laughs> until you guys have gotten it. Yeah. All right. As always, you can find this, all the other podcasts we do, and all of our writing, essays, film, and TV criticism, and more at dailyplanetfilms.com. Yeah. We also have a Patreon page, patreon.com slash dailyplanetfilms. We're climbing our way to the next goal, the aforementioned fan art contest, and we have so many more fun things planned. If you like what we do and would like to help make sure we keep getting to do it, please consider pledging a dollar a month or whatever else you can afford. Uh, each and every cent we earn goes back into the podcast to cover hosting fees, new equipment, and more. Uh, also, special thanks to our new patrons this week, Bobby, Daniel, and, and uh, Andreas. Thanks so much, guys. This is, uh, it's, 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 really, it's really humbling to have the level of support that we're getting, and uh, the level of encouragement and that uh, really just makes us want to make sure that we're giving everyone the, the best the best uh worm podcast we can give them absolutely i think it's so cool that we get to read new names every week that like people are people are, are donating every week like it's 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 awesome yeah while you're over on patreon make sure you stop by and consider donating to wildo patreon.com slash wildo because he does this for a living and if you're uh, one of those that can't spare any extra cash, we completely understand. But there are still tons of other ways to help us out. Um, if you are listening via iTunes and you could take a minute to go there and rate and review the new podcast, that would be really helpful. Um, it, like we said before, this is a brand new feed. Um, it's in a different category. iTunes, if you have new shows that get 
a lot of views and are rated heavily at the beginning, they like weight that way more powerful and will rise up in the rankings and get way more exposure. So it's never been more important to get those kind of reviews and ratings right now. So if you could take the time to do that, we would really appreciate it. Um, you, you could also just share the podcast with friends, um, friends that have read Worm before, friends that haven't read Worm before. Either one, that would be great. Yeah, just just to to follow up on that, if 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 you can't if you can't afford to donate anything, we have obviously understand that. But consider consider writing a review for the Got Worm Pod would be like giving us five dollars basically yeah yeah that's that's pretty much how much I, I think it would help us um so next week we'll be back as we dive into arc nine sentinel and uh, this one's a little bit different from the usual arcs so i'm sure you'll you're all as excited as i am to see scott's reactions until then we will see you guys next time <laughs>